Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. We are a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, please visit vcnola.com. Here is this week's message from Pastor Destin, and to all the fathers out there or father figures, we wish you a happy Father's Day. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. We want to welcome you guys. If you're watching online as well. I am very excited for this morning because I have four distinguished guests up here. Four men who serve as a father in some capacity. I want to introduce them to you, and then they're going to help me answer some questions for you. Number one, we've got Mr. Kirk, a.k.a. Papa, right? Is that right? Papa. So this is Kirk. Can we welcome Kirk this morning? A dad and a grandfather. We've got Michael. Michael is one of our V kids and our V students volunteers. So serving in that kind of like spiritual dad role. Can we welcome Michael this morning? We've got Will. Will is a dad of three, no, four, right? Four daughters, two of which are teenagers. And so he is uh, kind of serving in that role this morning. Let's welcome Will this morning. And then we have Jordan. Jordan is a dad to a daughter who him and his wife adopted. And so we have another dad of small, how old is Vivian? She's four. And so a small kid adopted dad as well. So we've got, can we welcome Jordan as well? So we've got kind of a a broad spectrum of men up here to kind of help us uh, walk through and answer some questions. So uh, what I just realized is we don't have a mic up here. How did I drop that? That's, That's my fault. Okay, here we go. First question. We'll just pass the mic. What did the men in your life do that has shaped you the most today? He's got notes somewhere. <laughs> no, I did not uh, grow up in the church, but uh, I was very fortunate to come across some uh, men who had some lasting influences on me uh, many, many years ago when I was quite young. That there was a man, I don't even remember his name, his elderly man, but I remember him telling me how important tithing was. And I forget the context of the conversation, but he was very adamant. And that really, really stuck with me. Uh, Another family member was actually involved in the Mormon church, but befriended my family and helped my parents out a lot, showed me the importance of family and what that meant. And then my father, although he made some uh, regrettable decisions late in his life, was not without, without his redeeming qualities, and uh, we don't have enough time for it. But there were a couple of events between him and I where he demonstrated just remarkable grace and remarkable forgiveness, and those have stuck with me till now. I think for me, there's been many things done, but the most important in my life has been the loving sacrifices of my father. 
he would get up early 5 a.m. on a Saturday to reserve a spot and set up for my family's swim meets. He would drive three to four hours on a weekday for his job or one of his jobs. And he would still come home and be a present, loving father for my mom, me, and my siblings. I can only hope that I can emulate what he did for my family. All right, so <clears throat> this is a difficult one for me because my father was total opposite of what everybody just spoke about right now. He's one of those guys that tried and did not try, right? But in, in during those, those times, his small influences in my life helped me grow to who I am. So I speak about it like this because he's still struggling himself. And um, let's just say that there was a time I took myself and showed myself how to drive. He was gone for a week. And when he comes back, he can't drive the car no more. It's a stick shift. <laughs> so during that, you know, his influence in me was, guess what your punishment is? You're going to replace that clutch. It took me six weeks to figure that out. I was 15 years old, but it helped me, right? Uh, as horrible as he was in certain things, those little influences helped me. And on top of that, I had other influencers, like um, I had my ROTC drill sergeant, right? He was that guy that, Will, you can do it. Just give me 20 more. You'll get it, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, and uh, he pushed me to literally become a brigade commander uh, during ROTC. He pushed me to do things that, you know, nobody's ever pushed me to do. Uh, I, I, he, pushed, he put me in a camp where you literally have to pay to go. He paid for it. My parents would not do it, but he helped me. He influenced me. And I use that every day in my life. And now that I'm growing into church, I'm using this more. So that's pretty much what's happened. Thanks for marking. Yeah. Um, so m maybe two two things is that um, my dad. So for me personally, my dad uh, just showed me the importance of of being uh, being present, uh, but not just being present, but being like actively involved in the things that me and my brothers and sisters were involved in. And so for him, that looked like. He would show up to our baseball games or Boy Scout stuff, and he would still be in his work clothes, and he would still be in his work truck. And so that meant he hadn't been home yet. He hadn't eaten dinner. And I would find out later in life uh, from my mom that that meant that he had most likely skipped lunch that day or eaten something really quick on the go. And so he prioritized. He, he lived self-sacrificially. He prioritized his whole day, his whole week, to make sure that he was uh, at things that were really important for us but not just at those things, but he was active participant. He coached and led and all those things. So he not just, not only poured into me, but he poured into to all the other uh, little kids that were there. And so that was the thing. And then the other thing is, uh, my, so I grew up in a Christian household. So my, my parents are Christians. My parents are still faithful members of, of their church. And so I literally grew up in the church. So from the nursery, so you dads that are dropping your kids off in the nursery, that was me, you know, all the way up through youth group until I left for college and so uh, I was in church Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night and so it was a routine but so not only was I getting a uh, good Christian example from my father at home but I was in a church environment where I was around other Christian men 
Christian husbands, Christian fathers all the time. And so those men, along with my dad, really helped shape me, right? So they, they taught me what it was to, to live for Christ and to be a good Christian uh, father and husband. And so I still think about those men. You know, I, when I think about them, I have nothing but joy and nothing but good things to say about them because they were, uh, they, along with my dad, because of, of who, they, who their allegiance was, is that uh, they, they shaped me because their lives were different, because their lives were, were soaked in Christ as well. And so uh, just encouragement, dads, keep bringing your, you know, keep making church a priority, keep bringing your kids here. So. What things, small or big, do you do or did you do with your kids to disciple them? Yeah, I would say um, because of my age and I'm a grandparent, it's a little bit of a blur. I was, <laughs> but I do, what I do remember and I do know is I was very blessed with a wonderful wife who gave our daughters tremendous amount of attention while I was at work. But with that said, um, I'm going to, the, the thought that came in was really uh, interactions with me and my son-in-laws. When they came to me and asked for the hand of my daughter, which I truly appreciated, one of the things I told him was, uh, God gave you a brain. It's a good idea to use it. <laughs> and, uh, and they took that to heart. But on a more serious note, you know, what I've explained to people is that you, you, you can't always choose what comes your way, what happens to you or what comes your way. But what you can always do is you can always choose how you want to feel about it and what you want to do about it. And in that little space before you choose is where Jesus' teachings are. And that will help you in pretty much every, every situation. Well, when I was, uh, when I was teaching, I did a few things. Uh, I tried to be consistent and follow through with my promises and disciplines, whether I agreed with them or not. I made sure to recognize their effort, seriously. I thank them for trying hard. And the most important thing I tried to do was be loving through all of it. I had one student named Jason who was one of my greatest challenges due to his special needs. And it, it showed me how to be loving and the joy that it brought not only him over the years, but his father was absolutely beautiful. All right. So for this one, I can pretty much say I went old school with it, right? <laughs> and old school, everybody thinks about the bell, right? But like more, more, more for me, it was more of a tool than actually using it because I literally, what I do with my girls is just, I come out as a tough guy, but at the end I come back and say, why did this happen? Why did we, are we having this conversation? And everything comes down to literally having that conversation because what I've noticed during my whole time growing up, I never had that conversation. My father would never sit down, my mother would never sit down. They would never discuss what, what you did, why you did it wrong, right? It was just more like the consequence and I literally grew up old school way. And if everybody knows here, that's getting a good whooping, right? So <laughs> I kind of used that logic, but I didn't do it. 
I always like felt bad, but at the same time, you know, I was like, you know, what can I do different? What can I do to help my kids understand that what they did wrong and have a real legitimate conversation direct and forward? Because I, I am very, that I am that guy that's very forward. Sometimes I come too strong and I apologize if I've ever done that to anybody here, but you know, I, I really, I am passionate about a lot of things and um, my wife hates it because I'm right a lot of the times, but having that conversation, <laughs> having that conversation is always hard, but having it and legitimately having it and discussing it and finding ways of doing better uh, always turns out the best. And I'm very thankful that I've done that because I see it in my daughters now. Yeah, so my, uh, so my daughter's four, and so um, everything is new, so we're teaching her all, all the truths, right? So I think just uh, a way we can uh, disciple her is just, like, just having those conversations. So, and you know, taking the few minutes to just, hey, talk about, hey, you know, like, uh, and talking about the sun. Or it's like, oh, you know, who made the sun? And so we're just kind of introducing all those truths. And then um, another thing is, uh, is... So my, my wife does different things, but I, I get to take my daughter to school most days. And so one of the things we do is, because it's like a 30-minute drive some days, depending on uh, traffic and things like that. So what we do, we've gotten in this rhythm of doing uh, the New City Catechism. And so there's a little, there's an app, there's a kid's version, but they're all questions. And they're all questions about, like, teaching her the truths of just who God is, who Jesus is, what he did. And... We do the questions, and then there's a little song, and she loves the song. And so uh, we've been doing it, and we've created kind of this rhythm. And now, so, like, when we drive to school, the first thing we do when I get in the car, we get on the road, she's like, I want to hear the music. I want to hear the music. And so uh, I think those are just, like, simple things I can do for, for her because she's really young. And so, you know, don't want to get over her head. But uh, just those simple things, that New City Catechism, and just listen to your daughter. Listen to your four-year-old sing to Jesus. Uh, it, will, it will break you down. So, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's some of the things I do. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to tweak this last question just a little bit because we're running out of time. In one word. <laughs> yes, we can. We can. What's your greatest hope for your children? <laughs> my greatest hope was that my daughters would find young men to bring in their lives who would love and protect them and we're batting a thousand can I have two words That's, yeah I'll give you I'll give you two words choose Christ all right I'm gonna put it so you guys can read it Matthews 19:14. take your time and read it all right three words three or, words four words stand in the gap so I want Vivian to be somebody that stands in the gap for other people. Awesome. Can we thank these men this morning? Appreciate you guys so much. If you don't mind grabbing your chair and walking that way. Uh, really am super thankful for these men and not only their willingness to share, um, but how they are actually embodying everything that we talk about. Probably imperfectly, right? No doubt imperfectly but still striving and pursuing Jesus as they love their families and they love their kids. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. This is 
uh, honestly something that I've been thinking about for a little bit now uh, in regards to not just being a father, but also in regards to uh, the vision of Vintage Church and where we are headed and thinking about, I think, what it means not just to be a parent, but to be a Christian and what this means for each one of us as we pursue Jesus. There's a chance that it's, you know, with Father's Day, you're thinking about your dad or you're thinking about your grandfathers or uh, that spiritual mentor that you had in your life. And all of those things are great. Perhaps you're thinking about your own kids or the kids that you might have one day. But I want you to think about someone or somebody else. As I started to read Psalm 78 in preparation for this, I started to think about my great, great grandchildren. There's a very good chance that I will never meet my great, great grandchildren. My, my kids never met my great-grandmother, but I grew up around my great-grandmother. She lived to be in her uh, early 80s, and when I was about 22, 23, she passed away. And I think about her life, and I think about how much it's a shame that my kids weren't able to meet her and see her influence, while at the same time recognizing that they're getting a piece of her every time they engage with me. And I think one of the things that I want us to think about, it's really us thinking about the end, imagining the end in life, is this question What will your great, great grandchildren be like? What will your great, great grandchildren be like? And as you think about that question, I think here is the big idea whether you're a dad or not, that every single one of us should take away. It's this. We should take responsibility for the spiritual formation of our future generations. We should take responsibility for the spiritual formation of our future generations. So Psalm 78, all I want to do this morning is I want to read verses 1 through 8 together. It says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he's done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, the great, great grandchildren, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
If our responsibility, whether we are a dad, grandfather, mom, grandmother, spiritual mentor, friend, whatever we are, if our responsibility is to take responsibility for the spiritual formation of our future generations, then what does it look like for us to take responsibility? And I think Psalm 78 teaches us two things. The first thing is this, tell the story. Tell the story. Now, Psalm 78 is set in a context that is important for us to remember. This is a historical psalm. We only read the first eight verses. When you keep reading Psalm 78, what you see is the story. Now, we have the Old and New Testament, so we don't read the entire story. But up to this point, you read the story of the Old Testament, which is literally what Psalm 78 does. In fact, Psalm 78, if you didn't know this, it's the second longest psalm behind Psalm 119 because it tells the story of Israel. And a part of this story is what we've been talking about in the book of Exodus. The context is this covenant relationship that God has chosen the people of Israel and he wants Israel to choose him. And so As you keep reading Psalm 78, you're going to find this basic structure. God acts, Israel rebels, God responds to that rebellion, and then God extends his grace. That's the structure of Psalm 78. But as we look at Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8, the first thing that we see is this. We have to tell the stories. Look back with me, if you will, at verses 2 through 4. And I just want you to pick up on some of the language that the psalmist gives us. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. A parable is a what? It's a teaching. I will utter dark sayings from of old that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The key phrase there is that statement, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Psalm 78 is teachable history. I don't know, when I was growing up in Ohio, one of the things that we learned about was this guy named Johnny Appleseed. Anybody familiar with Johnny Appleseed? He's like one of those mythical figures in Ohio because he kind of grew up in the Midwest. And you were learning about his story and it was teaching you something about life. You you learned stories about like George Washington, right? That he chopped down the cherry tree or never told a lie. These sorts of stories, whether they're true or not, it's teachable history. And what the psalmist is doing is he's giving us this teachable history to help us understand who God is, who we are, and what our relationship with God looks like. When you read Genesis to Revelation, you get a big picture of the story that all of Scripture is telling. When, we, when I explain this story, I talk about it using four words. Number one, it starts in creation. That's the first word, creation. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created everything and he called it good. And when he created humanity, he said that we were very good because we're the only thing that God has ever created that has been created in his what? 
image. In fact, that's my lesson tomorrow in VBS. You can pray for me. I'm the one teaching all the kids next week or this week. God created us in his image. So it starts with creation, but then in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the what? The fall. And we read about how that good creation that God created has now been broken because of sin. And it's our sin. And our sin separates us from God. But from Genesis chapter 4 all the way through the Gospels into the New Testament, we read about redemption, part three of the story. That through the Old Testament and ultimately through Jesus himself, God has been looking to heal our brokenness and redeem us from our sin. And all of this is culminating in this story. The big climax of the story is restoration. In the book of Revelation, we read about this, where God restores all of creation and all of humanity and makes all things right. So when we're talking about telling the story, we're talking about telling that story. And in that big story, like any story, there are countless small stories that tell that story. Yesterday, Rachel, my wife, was telling me that Emily and my daughter was in the car talking about the story of Jonah, right? The story of Jonah is a story of redemption inside the big story of redemption. So whether you're telling the big story or whether you're telling a small story, you are telling stories. And the point is to instill the story into the next generation, so they don't forget who God is and what God has done. One of the resources that we give all of you as parents access to is this thing called the Parent Q app. If you don't have this and you have kids, I would strongly encouraging, uh, encourage you to download it. You just go to the App Store and type in Parent Q and you can download this app. This is just a screenshot of my own phone with my daughter. So when you open this app up, this is for Emmeline, you will see that first image says 632 weeks until they move on to what's next, aka till there's freedom in my house. I mean, <laughs> aka until she turns 18 and she moves out, right? So that means I have 632 weeks left with my daughter. The next one, if you keep scrolling on this app, you will see a memory verse. This memory verse, by the way, is the very verse that they're learning in VKids right now. So Emelyn is learning about this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being sure of what we do not see. And if you keep scrolling, there's a video that you can watch. And then at the bottom of the app, it's got this awesome thing where it talks about morning time, drive time, meal time, and bedtime. And the whole point of this is being intentional with rhythms, right? So one of the things that Jordan shared with you just a minute ago is about the drive time in the morning and being intentional to have a conversation with her daughter, with his daughter about Jesus. And so what the app does is it gives you cues to say, okay, what do we talk about when my kids wake up in the morning? What do we talk about when we're going to school? What do we talk about at dinner? What do we talk about before they go to bed? This is just a simple tool to help you tell the stories that our kids need to hear. Look at verses 5 through 6 of Psalm 78. 
It continues and it says this, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. There's something interesting in Psalm 78 where it's like generations are seen as this unbroken chain. Right? Part of the significance, I think, of, of, of the Old Testament in, in Psalm 78 as well is that every generation is connected to the generation before it and the generation that's coming and following it. And part of our responsibility is to make sure that the generations aren't broken, that the chain of generations isn't broken, and that's why we continue to tell the story. Paul says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's writing to his protege, his spiritual son in the faith. He says, Then you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In two verses, Paul gives how many generations? Four. He says, listen, it's me, Paul. I'm teaching you, number two, Timothy, that you would teach faithful men, generation number three, that they could teach others, generation number four, an unbroken chain that they would know these stories. And it's not just that they would know the stories, but that they would understand and know the doctrine and theology undergirding those stories. Right? Jordan shared it just a minute ago, teaching, just talking about the sun. As you tell the story of creation, what are you beginning to teach a child about God? That he is our what? Creator, right? So when we tell those stories, we're teaching our kids theology. Jordan already beat me to it. I was going to introduce you to the New City Catechism. Again, another app that you could download on your phone. And by the way, if you're an adult and you don't have kids, I recommend this app to you because there's a kids mode and an adult mode, and it's the same app. You just turn the kids mode on in the app. But I want to show you an image of this as well, just to give you an example of what this looks like. So these are literally, this is, if you're familiar with a catechism, it's just a question and answer. And listen, if you're an adult and you want the song as well, go for it, right? So it could be as simple as this. What's our only hope in life and death, right? And you would click show answer and it would pop up the answer. What's our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. That's the answer. And then it gives you scriptures as references and it even gives you commentary from historical figures that have written about this. But this is a simple way to teach the truths of Scripture to our kids, to tell them the stories. But the point in telling the stories is this. Number two, encourage faithfulness. One of the ways that we take responsibility for the spiritual formation of our future generations is we have to encourage faithfulness. I want to go back again and look at Psalm 78 and look at just verse 7. Anytime in scripture you see these two words, so that, it always points to purpose. 
It always tells you, okay, what's the point of all of this? So what's the point of telling stories and teaching about God? Verse 7, so that they, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-grandkids, and every generation that follows, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The purpose of telling stories is so that we won't what? Forget. That we won't forget God's faithfulness, that God has been faithful to us, and that when we think about God's faithfulness, we won't forget our responsibility to be faithful to God. And part of this whole idea of telling stories and encouraging faithfulness is, yes, hopefully you have personal stories of God being faithful to you and maybe God being faithful to your parents and God being faithful to your grandparents and God being faithful to your great-grandparents. But the other resource that we have is this entire book. From Genesis to Revelation, there are stories in this book about God's faithfulness. And there are commandments and encouragements in this book for us to be faithful to God as well. And the reason that we need all of this and the reason that we need to encourage faithfulness is because why? We do what? We forget. There's a graph that you're going to see that kind of shows you uh, our ability to retain information. Right? This is disparaging to me as a communicator. Because right now, you're hearing me, and something's going through your mind, and you're, you're like keeping it in there, and you're like, I know it, I've got it, I remember it. And tomorrow, you're going to wake up, and you're like, wait, what did that guy say yesterday? This is why we have to tell the stories. This is why we have to teach the truth of Scripture, because on day two, three, all the way to day 31, at the end of the month, you are going to do what? Forget. And the most important thing that we can do is remember God's faithfulness to us and remember that we are called then to be faithful to him. So we tell the stories to encourage faithfulness. Faithfulness to that covenant relationship that God has with us. And that's why verse 8 ends this introduction to Psalm 78 where it says, Again, getting at purpose so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. There's probably a very good chance that many of you in this room are similar to the stories that Mr. Kirk and Will shared that you might not have had the best of dads, that you might not have had a dad who was a Christian or is a Christian, and that you're kind of figuring out this faith thing as you go because you didn't have that role model before you, or you had an incredible dad, or you had incredible spiritual mentors in your life. Somewhere back, whether it's in the first generation or the fourth generation or the tenth generation, somebody messed up. And the point is that we would pursue faithfulness. 
so that the next generation and the next generation after that and the next generation after that will not have to experience the kind of brokenness that maybe you've experienced or your dad's experienced or three or four or five generations ago experienced. Which means that if we're going to encourage faithfulness, we not only have to teach it, but we have to model what faithfulness to God looks like. It's not just for us to teach it, but we have to live it out. It's called being intentional. It's called having character. Are you the same person when other people are watching as when you are by yourself? Or what does everyone else see and what do your kids see? Do they see consistency between what you say and what you do? The last thing that you want to live by is do as I say, not as I do. I recently read a book by an author named Alan Noble called On Getting Out of Bed. I thought that was such an interesting title. And in the book, he talks about a lot of different things uh, regarding mental health. And one of the things that he talks about is sin. And he says this, he says, it's not just the lust and infidelity or the pride and anger, or the greed and vanity. It's the way these sins make sin more plausible for others. The effects of my actions ripple throughout time and space, drawing in more and more people for good and for ill. As dads, or as spiritual mentors, this is part of modeling what faithfulness looks like. The Bible teaches something that I know might sound a little crazy and a little odd, but what I have discovered from not only divine revelation, but experience is true, and it's called generational sin, where the sins of the Father haunt the generations to follow. And I, I was recently listening to something about uh, epigenetics. I don't know if you've ever followed this before. It's like way beyond my pay grade to understand all of this. But how the sin and trauma of past generations literally gets embedded in the DNA, in the genetics of who we are. And so God warns us about this kind of stuff in the Old and New Testament, about generational sin, and literally now science is proving to us that these things are for real, that this kind of sin gets embedded in who we are. And as dads and spiritual mentors and fathers, grandfathers, moms, friends, we have a responsibility to model what this looks like in the lives of the people that we love and lead, our own kids. It's no secret that our kids are living in a culture that's radically different from the one that we've grown up in. I mean, I like to think I'm not that old. And yet, the generation that my kids are growing up in seems to be so different from the generation that I'm growing up, that I grew up in. Unfortunately, I hate to admit this, but I'm a millennial. And I know there's a lot of baggage that surrounds that idea of being a millennial. And in fact, in 2020, listen to these statistics. 
In 2020, nearly as many millennials were religiously unaffiliated as were Christian. So that means if there's 50 millennials who say they're Christian, there's another 50 who say they're nothing, right? They're known as the nuns. And according to this research, millennials are the least religious generation of younger adults in American history. That's my generation. And again, we're not that old, right? Amen? You read stats like that and you're like, oh my gosh, all hope is lost. What are we going to do? And then as I was prepping for this message, I found some statistics about Gen Z, which is the generation after millennials, those born between 1995 and 2012. According to a recent study, and you're going to see a a graph on the screen here to help you maybe. According to a recent study of Gen Z, 77% of Gen Z are at least somewhat motivated to learn more about Jesus. That's pretty good. 77% of Gen Z are like, listen, there's a chance that I want to know more about Jesus. Now look at the next graph. The majority of Gen Z want to know more about Jesus. So where do they turn to learn more about Jesus? According to the statistics, 86% of committed Christian teens, 71% of nominal Christian teens, And 58% of all other teens turn to who? Family. So you're a dad and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, you know, my kids, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. You're like, maybe they don't want to know about Jesus. Or what do I do when they have all of these other influences around them? Number one, guess what? There's a very good chance that your kids want to know something about Jesus. And then there's a very high chance that the person that they're going to turn to first to hear about Jesus is who? You. So there's this reality. You can look out on the world, and you can, God forbid, you look on social media, and the, you know, the sky is falling. And things are terrible and there's no hope. But when I read Psalm 78 and I see these statistics about how there is a generation coming up that is interested in Jesus and the first people that they turn to is their mom and their dad and their grandparents, I'm left with hope that God could still do something. That not only my kids, but my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandchildren that will probably never meet me in person, could not only know Jesus, but love Jesus. And here's what I'm convinced about. I'm convinced that the way the world changes 
is when we have that kind of vision in mind. That we don't get caught up in like looking what's right in front of us, but we recognize that by engaging in our kids right now, we're changing the world for a world that we won't even be in. And I think that's how God changes the world. So dads, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're raising teenagers like Will. Will, we're praying for you. Or maybe you've got a brand new newborn. And you're like, I don't know what to do. My encouragement to you is to take responsibility. And by taking responsibility, you tell the story of Jesus. And you encourage your kids to be faithful. And you remember that as you're taking responsibility, yes, you're thinking about your kids. Yes, you're thinking about your great-grandkids. Yes, you're thinking about your great-great-grandkids. But you're thinking about generations to come who will know and love Jesus. And through your simple act of faithfulness, God will change this world. That's how he does it. And that's your part to play. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you that regardless of the kind of father that we have here on earth, we have a father in heaven who loves us, who cares for us, who is faithful to us. For all of the men here, for all of the dads and the grandfathers and the spiritual fathers, God, I pray that you would give them strength and stamina to continue, to take responsibility for the formation, not just of their kids and not just of their grandkids and their great-grandkids, but of their great-great-grandkids. God, that entire families, entire generations, entire communities are changed. God, help us to see your vision and trust that your faithfulness is real, that it can sustain us and it can carry us and that we can trust you. We love you, and we thank you that you love us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.